Hey, this is Marv from Pods Like Us, and you're listening to Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast. Welcome to Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Belknap, encouraging you to take hold of your dreams and pursue your passions. From behind the scenes to center stage, travel with me through the United States and Ontario, Canada. I'll be sharing with you the best places to see, stay, and dine. Along the way, we'll have interviews with people rocking from their own backyard to performing on world tours, bringing inspiration for you to live life loud. In today's episode, we bring to a close a three-part conversation with Justin Babcock, an accomplished songwriter, former, collaborator, artist, and a role equally as important to him, that of being a father. Also coming up is the third installment of Travel Time Through Canada. This one is for all the foodies. I'll be talking about my favorite and maybe even some not-so-favorite places for breakfast and dinner throughout my Canadian adventures. I also want to give a shout-out to all those who have already subscribed to the Louder Life News. This monthly email goes in-depth into what's happening at Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast, and also gives you some behind-the-scenes happenings as well. But wait! There's more. All subscribers receive early access to special episodes and events not publicized either on the website or social media. Now, for your weekly moment of contemplative pleasure. Deep shower thoughts. Drying off is a task that if procrastinated long enough, will get done all on its own. Deep shower thought for this episode is brought to you by... Paintings by Justin Babcock. To see the gallery of all available for sale, go to decibolic.com and click on the Paintings by Justin tab. For promotional consideration, send your inquiry to livelifeloud at decibolic.com. That address again, livelifeloud at decibolic.com. Imagine, if you will, one man's journey through space and time. From the coast of California to the furthest reaches of Ontario, Canada. Sharing both experience and insight. Hotels, restaurants, and interesting finds. You're about to enter this episode's edition of Travel Time. Travel Time. Oh, Canada. To bring a little uniformity and closure to this trilogy of episodes with Justin, this will also be the final chapter for Canada, but only for now. There is plenty to discover on the 440-kilometer path I would take from one end to the other of my Ontario territory. A drive if made all at once would be just under six hours. With this amount of geography and to help keep everybody's sanity, this listing will move along the travel route that I would normally take on the west side of Toronto. Beginning in London is a breakfast location you always feel at home in. The Spare Parts Diner. I found the Spare Parts Diner when meeting with one of the company's better known partners in the greater Ontario area, which also happened to be in the same city. I still finally remember my first breakfast here, a generous serving of eggs, a summer sausage about the size of a skinny can of Diet Coke, hash browns, 
and for my first time here, they substituted what would normally be three pancakes with a single pancake nearly the size of a large pizza. Be it the excellent cooks or the sassy waiter, the quality of service and the food is always excellent. The Spare Parts Diner also happens to serve one of the best lunches in the area. You will find its location a short and easy detour. Just six minutes off of the 401, which is the major highway, on your way in from anywhere in Michigan to Toronto, and just 10 minutes from the London International Airport. With the generous portions served, I would often box about half of it up and enjoy them later on while traveling that day. The next stop finds us in the city of Kitchener, home to one of the twin eateries known as the Borealis Grill. This pair of restaurants boasts the tagline, The Taste of Ontario, and rightly so as they have 20 beers on tap, all of them Canadian. Borealis Grill also proudly shares that over 80% of their food and beverage is locally sourced. For those like me who are not into ales and hops, their menus showcase a wide variety from burgers to seafood. Here the waitstaff always served me with a smile, a smile easy to return with the quality of food served. Our next stop on this trail is in the city of Mississauga and home to my favorite Canadian breakfast chain. No, not that one. I'm talking about the Sunset Grill. Out of four breakfast locations in the area, not including the great breakfast served at the Fairfield Inn where I would stay in Brampton, either of the two locations on Dundas Street or Barbara Boulevard serve you a breakfast worth far more than the price plus tip. The interior of one of these eateries may be simple, but that along with a true endless supply of coffee that never saw the bottom of the cup makes for an excellent start to any day while in the area. It was very interesting to me as the first time I stopped at one of these locations, I went to order only to have the waitress tell me about a special that gave me more food for even less money. I consider that to be a truly Canadian experience. On our last stop for this episode, we will be in Brampton, home to a very unique and if I can say this without it sounding like an oxymoron, upscale buffet dining experience. The Mandarin is a chain of Chinese buffets exclusive to the Ontario area, with the most exceptional location being the one on Biscayne in Brampton. If you are not in awe of the large ponds filled with giant goldfish as you enter this location, you soon will be by the million dollar fish tanks. That's right million dollar fish tanks. When dining here, you will be seated in one of four different rooms, making easy access to the centralized buffet. In addition to the typical Chinese fare, skilled chefs are on site preparing roasts, steak, and many other assorted upscale entrees fresh every quarter hour. You will also find a variety of sushi, favorites for the kids, and two islands dedicated to sweet pastries and desserts. If that wasn't enough, a server will greet you upon being seated. And at this time, you'll be presented with a plate that's warm, featuring a slightly dampened wash towel for you to rub your hands off in preparation for your meal while at the Mandarin. The buffet style is not your thing. You can order with your waitstaff, and they will bring it directly to your table. Though it is one of the more expensive stops I would make for dinner while in Canada, 
it won't set you back any more than a typical night out at a mid-level U.S. restaurant. And while we're on the subject of chain and dinner places to eat at, here are three Canadian ones that are comparable to favorites here in the United States. First up is Montana's Barbecue and Bar. For me, these locations sit somewhere between a Logan's Roadhouse and a Longhorn Steakhouse, serving everything from the standard burgers and wraps to priding themselves on having 100% Canadian steaks. Next is Kelsey's Original Roadhouse. Modeling the menu and locations after a typical American fare, I would put them at somewhere around or just below Applebee's. On the upper end of these eateries, you'll find Turtle Jack's Muskoka Grill. From guacamole and chips to fried calamari, and when they say award-winning ribs, you can believe it. Not every diner I ventured into was a wow experience. Here are two that it might be in your best interest to avoid. The first comes from well-heated advice given by a colleague who straddled the line between Ontario and Quebec, Canada. Boston Pizza. My colleague being a New Yorker was really looking forward to some New York style crust and was severely disappointed by what he called rather flat and cardboard tasting. I myself had a chain that I tried two different locations with similar disappointing results. Lone Star Texas Grill. One would hope this is either a Lone Star Steakhouse or a Texas Roadhouse. My experience could not be further from either one. They claim to serve Tex-Mex fare such as fajitas, slow-cooked smoked ribs, and grilled steaks served in a lively rustic setting. Well, at least the last part is true. I was not impressed by anything I tried my first time at a Lone Star Texas Grill, and to give the benefit of the doubt, I returned to a separate location and had a similar, less than stunning experience. That will conclude West End stays and dining for the Toronto area. In future segments of Travel Time, we'll explore an Asian marketplace and a couple of must-see music stores, including North America's largest music instrument retailer. All when we return to Travel Time. Following fallouts and changes to the lineup, Justin and company pushed onward with faith. Everything is moving along as planned until a personal development forces him to make the hard call. But the saga for this sensational vocal talent isn't over, as we witness in this episode's conversation with Justin Babcock. It took two years. Your first album with Fate finally releases in 2002. What happens next? We get the CD done. And then Omnisound actually finds a, uh, a record company that's interested okay. in us. You know, at this point, you got to remember, they had already put us in front of Seven Dust. They looked us over, and then they passed on us. You know, it's, it's the same story as you hear from all these other bands. The management from Guns N' Roses, they passed on us. Management from several different bands, just that they all passed on us. And that's fine, you know, because we really didn't know what we were trying to do. So they found a record label that was interested in us, and we met with them. There were a Christian uh, record label down there who dealt with mainly Christian softer rock bands. And here we are, this new metal 80s megla, you know, whatever you want to call it. And we're like, yeah, man, we want to be rock stars. And they're like, this is the plan. 
We're going to put you on the road for probably close to 300 days a year. So then we started talking buses. We, we can't mm. afford to put you in a bus. Not yet. So what are we doing? A van with a trailer. So five guys in a band and our road crew all in a trailer, you know, in a van, 300 days a year. <laughs> it didn't seem too logical <laughs> at that time. They wanted us to go prove ourselves. They were um, hooking us up with Mark Slaughter because they wanted him to come in and produce our next record. Okay. So we met with Mark several times. Mm -hmm. So everything is finally getting exactly where you want it to be. Where was your headspace at at this moment? What was going through your mind? There's a lot of information here that I want to unpack. We're now schmoozing with rock stars, sitting down and having conversations with guys that have toured with Kiss. I mm -hmm. kind of went out of my way to really get to know Mark. We were building a friendship, which was really cool. He could see my excitement and he could see that I was really genuinely interested in getting to know him. Absolutely. We started down this road with him and until we realized like how much money he was going to want. What was Mark asking for? $2,000 a song. Oh, wow. Because they wanted him to come in and produce our next record. Mm-hmm. We didn't spend nowhere near that on the first record. And we're like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. So if you do a 10-song album, that's going to be $20,000 right there. Yep, yep. In the middle of all of this, the girl that I'm dating, she gets pregnant. Ooh. Was she with you in Nashville at the time? She lives in Michigan. I was in the recording studio when I got the phone call. Wow. What are we going to do? When the idea of going on the road for 300 dates a year comes up, what do you think the first thing comes into my brain? Yeah. How could I ever do that to a child? Right. Now she's having this baby. I'm down here with the band instead of being where I should be taking care of my daughter. And yourself coming from a background where you were raised by a single, single mom. mom. Yep. And now you see this possibly happening to somebody else and you're like, uh, you're like, no. Past experience kicked in. Things are starting to they're starting to go down. How did you feel at that point? It was a really, you know, um, double-edged sword. We had a company that was working for us at the time, just a grassroots promotional company that was started there in Nashville. They started going to all the radio stations. What better way to get a band out there than to have like some attractive ladies come to a radio station and say, hi, we're here to talk to you about this band. And she's professional and she's telling you about the band and here's a bunch of CDs, here's a bunch of swag, blah, blah, blah. Play these guys. This is taking place. And I'm like driving back and forth between Michigan and, you know, Nashville. It sounds like there was more going on for Fate than just recording your next album. What else has happened in preparation for making the big splash, as it were? We showcased in front of the president of uh, um, Sirius Satellite Radio, and they loved us. A week after we showcased for them, we were then being played on Octane Radio. So now we're seeing this is building. Our stuff is being played on the radio. So I'm driving down the road and I can hear my music being played and announced by the DJ. It's starting to happen. You know, you're really stoked about it. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, 
I can't do this. Oh, wow. Yeah. The biggest it got was uh, 11 different states and seven different countries mm-hmm. worldwide. It was, and it was mm-hmm. getting bigger. So when did you decide to finally call it quits with fate? We went home for Christmas. Uh, I was at my mom's house and uh, Pat comes walking in and we were talking for a little bit. I just okay. looked at him and I just said, dude, I can't do this anymore. Now, keep in mind at this point, mm-hmm. my daughter was almost two. Oh, gee. It had been almost two years of me fighting oh, this, man. striving for something mm-hmm. and knowing in the back of my mind, yeah, I can't do this. Right. And knowing who you are, I imagine this was really tearing you up inside. That really weighed on me. I have all these guys that moved down here with, we're chasing this dream together. Yeah. I'm going to break it. I'm going to be the guy that's going to squash everything right. because I got this girl pregnant. And so I carried around a huge guilt. These guys are going to hate me. I told Pat, he goes, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not, not what you're expecting to hear at that point. I was like, really? And he goes, I don't want this. This isn't the life that I want. So had you not had this focus changing life event, how do you think everything would have played out. If we would have become rock stars, we would have killed ourselves. So it's very good that that never happened <laughs> for us. It was shortly after that, you know, I went, we went back to Nashville and uh, we called a band meeting, explained to everybody that I was, you know, that I think I was going to leave. Yeah. There was no moving forward. The, the band ended. I moved back to Michigan, Valentine's Day, 2001. Just out of curiosity, what happened with Pat? Pat stayed down there in Nashville. Mm-hmm. He's still there to this day. But, uh, but dude, it was, a, it was a cool ride, man. We did some really cool stuff. We played some great shows, some huge shows. It. it was a cool way to spend my 20s, I guess you could say. But you got a chance to really reach out, do what you had always wanted to do. Yes. You got there. You got to the point where everything was right where you had envisioned yourself. And then you realize right at the, at the peak of that, this really isn't what I thought it was. Oh, yeah. And that's absolutely the truth. Not only am I glad that I made that decision to be here with my, you know, with my daughter, I got up here and I've had her and my son and and I'm super, super grateful for them. But at the same time, I also recognize that I was not destined to go down that road. I tried it and I had a great time doing it. And it was, it was, I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. Oh, yeah. And it was, and I was, we were making it happen. We were talented enough to do it, you know, but then it was just, no, this isn't the right, this isn't the right thing. You know, I had that little, I had not that little, I had a big tug. This chapter may have ended, but it wasn't the end of your pursuit of music. Absolutely. Or your lifelong love of performing. Yeah. I can still do this and still make music and still play shows and, you know, go out and have fun, but do it more as like a weekend warrior kind of thing and then come home. How can I feel this way? How can I feel this way? When you're so far I wasn't done. I just knew going to a different city. Let's see what's out there. So in your moving from Nashville, what did you do 
in attempt to break into the Detroit area scene. I had put a posting up when I still lived in Nashville that I was a singer and I was moving to the Detroit area. Did you find anything right away? I auditioned for a, a few different bands. What was it like for you coming in from the outside, as it were, this time around? A couple of them were being rude to me and they're like, you know, you're auditioning for my band. And I'm like, oh, no, you're auditioning for me. And I'll let you know if your band's good enough for me to sing it. You know, when I left Nashville, I was a massive, snooty musician at that point. Nobody was good enough to play with me. I went through the whole cocky mess, <laughs> <laughs> which was really bad. But at that point, I had been with such professional musicians that were at the top of their game. Sure. The last thing in the world I was going to do was relegate myself to playing with people that were below me. <laughs> wow which is terrible. I need to come down to reality. Thank God I did, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then I met the guys in Abandon. All right. And I was with Abandon for over four years. We put out four albums together. We played tons of just killer shows. You know, the guys, they were my brothers. Those guys were a great group of guys. What would you say is the genre that Abandon fit best in? We were a true metal band. Judas Priest, you know, meets Pantera. Okay, yeah. I was doing all the really cool screams and, and lots of like Phil and Salmo, <laughs> yeah, you know, type stuff. And, you know, we opened up for some really great bands. I mean, everybody from Striper, Black Label Society to uh, Johnny Pool. And it's been cool because I've been able to mix the guys from Abandon and the guys from Fate. I've been able to bring them all together. Well, it sounds like Abandon had a really good run. What was it that brought this band to a close? It had gotten to the point where we were like playing some really weird shows where you've got all kinds of crazy crap going on. And we're like sitting there playing at like one o'clock in the morning, you know, to like everybody, you know, <laughs> and we're like, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. I think we're done. Sean was the guitar player and the guy who started Abandon. And then when it was done, Sean and I had talked. We had taken some time away. We came up with Black Soul Swamp. So you and Sean go and form Black Soul Swamp. But before you even met Sean, there was another person who entered the picture who also became a vital member of that team. Tell us more about it. It's a really funny story. His name's Jerry. He's like one of my best friends now. Jerry actually called me when I still lived in Nashville and says, hey man, let's put a band together when you get up here. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Come on, man. <laughs> so I, I, like, I brushed Jerry off hardcore. And then I moved here. First thing, you know, Jerry called me. Hey, you're in town. Let's put a band together. I'm like, I wanted nothing to do with it. And the funny thing is, is he's the guy now that I write all of my music with for my solo CDs. And he's the guitar player for Black Soul Swamp. How would you describe the sound of Black Soul Swamp? A real southern rock. Not quite Leonard Skinner, something a little more up to date. From what I can see, you've been in Black Soul Swamp for some time. I've been in Black Soul Swamp longer than any band I've ever been in. What do you feel is a common vital thread between all of you in this group that has allowed it to endure? I'm in a band with a bunch of guys that are married and have kids. We're going to play on the weekends and we're going to do all these really cool shows and then we're going to go home. Is Black Soul Swamp the same group as when you started or do you have a couple of positions with a rotating door? We've had several members. 
two drummers and probably five bass players. But it's always been me, Sean, and Jerry. It sounds like the three of you have formed a tight bond since the beginning of Black Soul Swamp. What have been some major challenges you have overcome to keep going? We went through a lot together. Myself, I lost my mom. Brian, he lost his mom. Jerry actually got into an accident where uh, he was riding his bike and he got hit by a bus. He rolled underneath the tires and it rolled over him and the whole deal. So we stood by him until he started to get better. And then he finally started coming back and, and then he got back into playing again. And then Sean, he's had some medical issues. And he finally got through those. And then all of a sudden, COVID. And so everything kind of shuts down. And you were in the middle of recording when this happened. Yes. This is our third album together. Right. Your first two albums were Songs from the Swamp, about parts one and two back in 2014. Right, right. And you followed that up with Stars in 2018. Yes. Where did the songs come from? Do you have a collection of things you've written over the years? When we write a song, this is a song that's going to go on the record. So it sounds like you're writing for what is relevant at the time you're doing the recording. Right. How many songs would you say end up on the cutting room floor and are never returned to? We've done that. It doesn't happen very often. Nine times out of ten when we write a song, it goes on the record. We'll write material and just never come back to it. It's very few and far between that we write a song we just don't like. How do you go about recording an album for Black Soul Swamp? Are you going into a local area studio, or do you have a standard setup location that's always used? Pat actually records all my Black Soul Swamp stuff. Like, we record, and then Pat, like, produces all of it and everything down in Nashville. So him and Sean have gotten to know each other, and they've become friends, and which has been really great. And we're using the same system. Sean's got his basement is set up as a recording studio. And he can do all the recording out there and then stick me in a closet. And so we can separate and be on headphones. We do all the recording there. Sean and the bass player and the drummer will all record their stuff at Sean's. Jerry will record his guitars at his house through Cubase with Pat so that they're tightening everything up. And then Sean calls me when all the music's done and I head down there. We'll take two, three sessions and we'll knock out like three songs at a time. It works. And then from there, then he takes everything and he dumps it all into a big, large transfer file and uh, sends it to Pat. And then Pat downloads it into his recording system and mixes and masters it down there in Nashville. Wow, this sounds like a great process you've discovered to make it all happen. We've just found over the years this works best this way. That's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. Every night when the stars do shine From the days of fate to your current band, has there been a central thread or focus that you have kept in mind throughout everything? I was always focused on the fact that I wanted someday I wanted my kids to be able to listen to my CDs. I didn't want to feel bad that they're like listening to F-bomb this and F-bomb that, you know. So if you go back and you listen, I've always said, I'm not in a Christian band, but I'm a Christian that's in a band. Yeah. So you will, you will hear that focus in my, in my lyrics. I talk about, man, first few albums of Abandon was all about God. 
like the whole thing was it was either about me being angry at something or it was about God, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) it was very angry music, you know, but, but there was a big focus on God, you know, and the same thing in fate, you know, there's a lot of songs on the fate album that have to do Mm -hmm. with God, you know, and then you start getting into a, you know, black soul swamp and, and the Babcock stuff. And there's a lot of stuff on there that's about God. So, I mean, I'm just a Christian that plays music. You know, I don't want to be in a Christian band where I'm boxed in. So now that we've come full circle in this journey, if you had a chance to talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell them? Man. Is there is there one thing that, that really sticks out that you wish you would have been able to have said, hey? I'm not one to regret. The things that I've done in my life where I've made those mistakes, and the best thing that you can do after you make a mistake is not regret it, but own it. Be honest. Be transparent to everyone around you. Because the more transparent you can be with your own life, absolutely, the less you'll have to apologize for. If I had a moment, that's what I'd say. That is solid. Honestly, Dave, that's so important when it comes to your journey. We're not all going to have the same journey. We're not all going to have the same experiences. If you're not willing to be vulnerable with the darker experiences, the story, one, is going to be boring. And two, it's not going to come off transparent. As we bring to a close this look at Justin's lifelong love of music and his guiding faith, I hope it has encouraged you to be true to who you are, to never give up on yourself, and to always live life loud. Thanks for listening to Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast. We hope you'll join us again, and be sure to let your friends and family know about us. To find out more, visit decibolic.com sign up for our Louder Life newsletter. The views and opinions expressed during this episode are those of our guest and host alone. Remember, wherever the road takes you, live life loud. Loud, loud, loud.